There was something calm and sure about them, and it would never have occurred to me that anything might shatter the sheer stability of it all. A father much admired, a son who seemed to please him, a family name everywhere revered, and to which no act of dishonor had ever been ascribed. As a son, I could not have imagined a more noble father than my own, save perhaps that fabled one who'd once cut down a cherry tree, then refused to tell a lie. And so the event my father forever after called the incident took me completely by surprise, though he never failed to make clear that it had sprung from a long-standing affliction he called the bottoms, black moods that for generations had stricken the branches, both men and women, its family disease. The incident itself had occurred twelve years earlier, while I was at boarding school, and though I was still quite young, it should have suggested that I lived in a world whose unsteady underpinnings remained invisible, a walker on a pier whose rotten timbers lie hidden beneath the water. But no such warning sounded in my mind, and so I sailed blithely on through boarding school and college, until at last I faced the decision of what to do with my life. As a fortunate son, I'd had many options, of course, including heading north, as my father suggested, and which had been his own early goal, though even this had not been as important as writing a great novel, a hope he'd claimed to have abandoned long ago. I had no such grand ambition, however, and simply decided to mark my return to the Delta with an act of noblesse oblige. I took a teaching job at Lakeland High School, and by that means hoped to render service to the people over whom my family, in concert with a few others equally high-born, had maintained a long dominion, and among whom it had flourished both before and after the Civil War. Thus I would follow in my father's footsteps, for he had taught at Lakeland for nearly twenty years before the incident. I saw no reason why I might not do the same. After all, I was the only son of an aristocratic family whose fortune still counted among its assets that romantic vision of the world without which, as romantics hold, nothing can be changed. Three years later I was still at Lakeland, now quite reaccustomed to the dreamy countryside through which I drove towards school each morning, the Spanish moss and winding estuaries, the morning mists that rose sleepily from swamps and streams, the strange phantasm of the delta, the spectral quality of its ever-changing light. It was a spring day, the one in question. One of my students described me this way. Mr. Branch was already at the front of the class when I came in that morning. He said hi to us as we came in. He was smiling like usual. He was a friendly person, and it seemed like he enjoyed teaching school. In class, he liked to hear himself talk. The only strange thing about him was that he never came to the football games or basketball games like the other teachers did. Dirk said he thought he was better than us because he came from a rich family. Dirk said he looked down his nose at us. Maybe he did, but what I noticed is the way you couldn't tell who he liked and who he didn't like. 
at least before things changed, and he picked one to like the best. But he'd been at Lakeland three years by then. Wendell Casey, Statement to Police True enough, but there was something Wendell left out in his assessment. I was good at teaching, and knew I was good at it, a fact that was later officially recorded in court documents. Mr. Titus So you liked your occupation, Mr. Branch? Mr. Branch I believe it is a vocation, sir. Fine, then, but you are a teacher, are you not? Yes, I am. And do you consider yourself a good teacher, Mr. Branch? Yes, I do, particularly for the kids at Lakeland. Why particularly them? I hadn't had time to answer fully then. Now I do. I was a good teacher for the...